The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by former Australian Army Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel Ricardo Bossi, who is also leader of the Australia One Party. We'll be getting his take on the tyranny enveloping the world, especially in Australia, as well as what he plans to do about it. Lieutenant Bossi, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, Lieutenant, although I have friends and family in Australia, I haven't been following things too closely down under until I learned about you and your work via podcast interviews you've been doing, uh, and others as well who are speaking out, such as Chef uh, Pete Evans, who, are, who we're supposed to have on the podcast soon. You've spoken out against this tyrannical global project, which I call, <laughs> or which is known as the coronavirus pandemic. I believe we're beginning to see pushback coming from many people, uh, including notable religious leaders such as Archbishop Vigano in the Vatican, John MacArthur recently in California, renowned lawyers such as Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who was recently at the huge uh, anti-lockdown protest in Berlin, as well as countless scientists, intellectuals from all around the world. Kennedy said something that was really interesting, that he says we're up against a global totalitarianism, the likes of which humanity has never seen in history. I personally have had enough of being politically correct uh, on the subject. As Bob Dylan once said, let us stop talking falsely now. The hour is getting late. So I wanted to get your assessment on what you think is really happening around the world with these emergency measures. You're a military man, and this in some ways feels like a military operation. The lockdowns are based on the pretext of what perhaps can now be recognized as a false alarm, as concluded by a German report, and something which experts... Uh, uh, say should not be considered a pandemic at all. So uh, what's, what's going on in your mind? Yeah, thank you. Um, your assessment's correct and the pushback is coming, but what they're doing, whilst this is unprecedented in that it involves the entire globe, it is not unprecedented in history. Every empire had the edge of the known world and every empire sought to control the known world. Um, some did it well, some did it badly. Uh, that's not the point. But this is nothing new, so it, it shouldn't shock us. What shocks people is it finally envelops the entire globe, thanks to technology, and they can. The, the world is now their playground. And so the question is, who are they? Who are these people that want to control the planet? Well, there are many levels to the globalists, and you can you can spend a lifetime trying to find out who's at the top and who's in the middle. Um, but what we do know about them is they're psychopaths, they're sociopaths. They they lack that capacity. Empathy, they are like a colorblind person trying to see the color red, they just can't see it. Um, and it's difficult for your average person to understand their desire for control simply because um, most people are decent and they have a humanity about them, they have the capacity for empathy, and they can't imagine wanting to control somebody else just for the sake of it. Well, sociopaths and psychopaths do, and that's what we're dealing with. Um, and it is difficult, and unless you've lived and worked with psychopaths, which I have, I've had that illuminating experience both personally and professionally uh, in the jungles to the north of Australia. And once you, once you understand it, you can see how you must deal with these people. Well, when they get power, they are unstoppable. The, the insatiable thirst for power, and that's what they want. So they want to control us. Um, now, Australia is suffering at the hands of these people, uh, much like the rest of the world, uh, but Australians are different to every other culture. I've lived and worked with many, many cultures, really have, both in the military and out. In, in my 24 years in, the, in special forces, I've lived and worked with Americans, Brits, South Africans, the French, uh, Emiratis, Jordanians, uh, you name it, Kuwaitis, Papua New Guinea, New Zealand, 
Filipinos, <laughs> and fill in the blank. I've worked with them all. And Australians, have, uh, our, most of one of our endearing, endearing qualities is that we're slow to anger. We, uh, it takes a while to get an Australian riled. We, uh, if someone says something or behaves stupidly in a pub, which is a typical Australian response will be, settle down, cover, which is uh, an Australian way of saying, just you know, take it easy, relax, have your drink. There's no need to get too hot and bothered about much. But the one thing that gets Australians really exercised is when someone cheats, because we're a sporting nation. We play a lot of sport. We watch a lot of sport. It's a metaphor for our life. And when someone cheats, then all of a sudden you're going to get the Australians, they'll get their back up. And that's where we are now. The COVID nonsense is clearly that. The rules being applied are clearly inconsistent. They're not based on any analysis. It's not based on any data. It's just ambit claims made by a range of imbeciles that we have as political leaders. And the obvious, the obvious inconsistency is starting to rile people. For example, a Black Lives Matter protest with 10,000 people, no problem. A woman standing outside the front of Parliament House with her daughter in a pram and a sign is thrown to the ground by, by the Australian police, the New South Wales police, and thrown in the back of a van. And this is starting to get people very, very, very concerned because they know it's wrong. The data, the simple fact, for example, that the alleged COVID deaths are nothing like the numbers. And the CDC, I think, just recently came out and, and the numbers are roughly speaking of the alleged hundreds of thousands of deaths, only 9,000 were actually related to COVID. The rest were, as we know, and it's been said a hundred times before, if you were 96 and had a heart attack, but you happen to have the COVID bug, you died of a COVID death. So those numbers are coming out and people are getting very cranky because they realize they're being lied to. Now, unfortunately, a lot of Australians still believe the, uh, the fake news and they believe what they've been told. But, and let me give you an example. I'll just read this to you. This is a message that I get as the head of Australia One, the party. And if this is not unusual, but let me read it to you so I get it right. My name is, and I won't give you that, obviously, and I reside in Victoria, which is an Australian state uh, in Australia to the south. Now, Victoria is the most docile, compliant, and left-leaning state in the country. As evidence of that, before the Victorians get cranky, they're the first to accept full-term abortion. Now, Killing a baby at the point of birth and calling it medical waste, that's not healthcare. That's just murder. But they are the first to accept it. And so that's what they do in Australia. They, they start with Victoria and then they move up the eastern seaboard trying to get the next state and the next state. And there's a warning for Queenslanders. You're next. Queensland is a state, uh, the northernmost state on the east coast. They are actually next. They're going to bypass New South Wales because there's too much money in New South Wales and, and they don't want to lose their um, investment portfolio. But anyway, let me continue reading. I've been introduced to your podcast and love everything you stand for and you have my vote. I don't know who to reach out to or who to talk to that I can trust for truthful answers. Up until this COVID smoke strain, smoke screen, I had absolutely no understanding or, to be honest, any real interest in politics, but now I do. I'm scared, scared for my children and my grandchildren. We have a business where we now in stage four, can only do emergency works after 26 years of making an honest living. A couple was fined for grocery shopping uh, coming from the same home. So uh, an elderly couple went shopping and they were arrested for that, fined for that. Worse, a man was apprehended for putting out his rubbish bins at nine o'clock at night 
because the curfew in Victoria starts at 8 p.m. And the police arrived, lights on, police cars, and one threatened to draw his weapon and put it in his face for putting out his garbage bin. I can some, the drones are checking on us and sometimes I hear aircraft fly overnight. Are we safe to stay? Now that is not an unusual event in Australia. And even the most reluctant Australians are now waking up. They really are. And the pushback is coming. But, and here's, here's the educative process for Australians. A lot of Aussies don't much pay attention to politics, to their detriment. What they're now finding out is that we have no rights. Now, the United States has their Bill of Rights and they have their amendments to the Constitution and they can use this in court to defend themselves. But what Australians are finding out is two things. Firstly, they have no real rights and here's the very compressed version. The only stated right that an Australian has is the right to trial by a jury and that's in a federal jurisdiction, meaning the state jurisdictions can do what they want. And so everything that Dan Andrews, with the exception of a few things related to trade across state borders, is actually, uh, whilst it's morally reprehensible, there's nothing that people can do legally against it. And this is horrifying them. The time will come when Australians will have to decide, do they want to live like this or do we have to change the way we do business? Because they don't understand that sovereignty comes from them. They literally believe that Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister, or Dan Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, or any other state premiers, are the law. And part of my process in, with Australia One and what we are doing is we're helping to educate people that they are sovereign and their rights are theirs and the government is instituted by them to their benefit. And to quote the American Declaration of Independence, when a government becomes destructive to the ends of the people, then the people should have the right to remove that government. And we don't have that. We have to wait for a, uh, an election. But we're moving now because we're going to compel the governments to step back because it's going to be not in their political interest to continue this. Now, we know that um, the Prime Minister and the Premiers control nothing. Like most politicians, they pick compromised or weak individuals who are compliant, who will do what they're told. To think that any Prime Minister or any State Premier controls their future is, is naive in the extreme. And again, people are learning that. But they have to survive. So we're going to push back and we're going to push back hard. And uh, Australia One was created simply because no other party was doing what it's required to do. We have four major parties, the Liberals, which are actually allegedly the Conservatives, but they're not. The Labor Party, which no longer cares for the working man. The National Party, which are socialist agrarians. And the Greens, which are communist. Now, I'm not talking about the people that vote for them. You know, they're just good people have been lied to. But the party infrastructure is utterly corrupted and they are working to the same tune. And so reluctantly, a bunch of us formed Australia One. We had no interest in it, but we realised that unless we took this into our own hands, Australia will become a totalitarian state, worse than it currently is. Yeah, you know, when I was reading the news about what was happening in Australia from, from here, from the other side of the planet, uh, especially the story where they locked people down into their apartment complexes and sent police on every floor and at the entrances, and these people could not leave their own apartment for at least a week, not even to shop for food. And my blood was boiling. I, you know, I'm not even Australian, but I couldn't believe that something like this was happening, as well as all, all of the similar things, but not as bad that, that you know, we're experiencing 
here in, in, in Mexico or the, or the US or, or Europe. It's, it's, it's absolutely uh, insane. And again, I refer back to Kennedy and what you were saying that this is a global dystopian totalitarianism. I don't see how anyone with, in, in their right mind with logic and rationality cannot recognize uh, what, what, what's happening. And you mentioned the US. Um, it's been said that whatever remains of the US Republic, that in a sense, it's the last dying um, light of, of democracy, that once that candle goes out, the rest of the world will follow into darkness. W what are your thoughts briefly on what is happening in the US uh, right now? Because it seems to be a prelude to a coup d'etat or, or, or civil war. Yeah, it's, you're exactly right. The, um, it was best put, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but it was in a, uh, a documentary called um, uh, Agenda, Grinding America Down. And he said, this is a New Zealander. And he said, if America goes down economically, it goes down militarily. If it goes down militarily, the entire world goes down. There are a lot of, um, a lot of people that believe that if we all, all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, the world will be fine. Well, I can tell you after a quarter of a century in the military special forces, the world is a, a mean and nasty place. And unless you have the means to defend yourself, you are in trouble. Now, that's why they have to bring down the US. Again, logic, nobody in their right mind, exactly what you said, nobody in their right mind could look at the insanity of the, the left in the US, defunding police, for example. It's just ridiculous. And yet that's being pushed. They need to destroy it. They don't care. They will destroy, they will burn the earth to the ground. But their job is to destroy America, not control America. Because once America's dead, the rest of us are. And that's why I, ha I personally have great faith in Donald Trump. In fact, I dedicated my book to him. Uh, and I'll read you that if you want to, because that's a, it summarizes exactly what it is we need. But I'll get to that at the end if you want. But I have great faith in Trump and what he's doing to save America. But the operating principle that we use at Australia One is that we must save ourselves. We cannot wait for anybody else to come to our aid. Every nation on the planet must stand up. And for the first time in some cases, and in Australia, that's exactly the case, because we have never once fought on our own ground. Now, the Japanese in World War II attacked Darwin, a city in our far north. They bombed it. But there were never foreign troops on deck <clears throat> on the ground. But for the first time, Australians have to defend themselves. Now, this requires a high level of self-reliance. And that's what we're going to do with Australia One, because once the Australian people discover what is happening, um, what has been done in their name by the political parties, the level of betra betrayal is, is most egregious. And our first policy if you're on our website, AustraliaOneParty.com website, the first policy that we're putting up is we're going to reinstate the death penalty for treason and life imprisonment for sedition. Our previous prime ministers have watered down the definitions and they've used that to get away with murder, including changing the constitution illegally. We, we are operating under an illegal constitution. They have no authority. They've changed the rules of the game without any permission. But Australians are going to have to stand up and every nation must stand up and then we stand there as a community of strong independent nations willing to work together to, to do this. Now, is it possible that the US will fall? Yes. And the consequences for the, for the globe are catastrophic. We will enter a new dark age that will last centuries. Had, had Hillary Clinton won, that's where we'd be already. It would have been a war against Russia, because that was the scenario they were painting. I'm not saying, I'm not saying Russia's a, a good actor at all. But we know that they were doing deals with the Russians, but they also were going to start a fight with Russia. Um, 
there would have been that half a millennia at least of darkness. Now, if the US goes down, we're in trouble. But the view that we have here, and I'm applying all my military skills to this problem and how we're going to fix it, because there's no point wailing and waiting. So, for example, the strategy, I have a six-plus phase strategy, which goes over numerous decades. So this is a multi-decade long plan that I have. We have six separate, what we call, lines of operation that are synchronized. So as the phases progress, each line of operation contrib contributes to it. Politics is just one, one of the six, and there are five others which remain confidential. In fact, most people in the, in the executive aren't even aware of the detail. <coughs> Excuse me. Because it's done on a need-to-know basis and they don't need to know. So we're going to get the party up, and the party is going to uh, become the party of government because the Liberal and Labor parties will collapse, the National Party will collapse, and we will become the party of government, and we have a very clear plan on what we have to do and how we have to do it. And for your listeners, just so they can understand how we work, whenever you plan a large complex military operation, I'm talking about tens of thousands of men and women and equipment and planes and fuel and spare parts and airfields. It's, it's a large, complex operation, and nobody does it better than the military. I mean, nothing in human endeavour comes close to a large military-scaled operation. But you break it down into three parts, and this is key. An intention comprises purpose, method, and end state. Now, our purpose is to save Australia. Very simple. We have to save the country. Method, we leave to last because method reveals itself. The end state that we are achieving is this. We'll create a sovereign, self-reliant, Christian Western democracy, which is economically powerful, militarily intimidating, politically free, socially cohesive, and culturally vibrant. And so when they ask, what do you stand for? That's what we stand for. Every policy we have contributes to that end state. But the method is key because the method is we'll create a moral political party which empowers individuals to achieve their highest individual level so they can contribute collectively to the reformation of Australia. And so there's an old saying, you can't govern yourselves until you can govern yourself. And so what, as we know, what's, what's being done to us and every Western nation on the planet by the left and, and their collection of facilitators is they have attacked the foundations of Western civilization. They understand better than we do what makes us strong, why the world wants to get to the West. What is it? And there are, there is, it's a simple analysis. You break it down into its, its constituent parts. And they, you can tell what's most dangerous to them by what they attack most vigorously. The first thing they do is they attack the Christian faith. Because in the Christian faith, all life is sacred. All life. Not some lives, like if you're too old, you should, we should be put down. If you're too young, we can kill you because you, you're interfering with somebody's compelling career in real estate. Then they attack the natural family. And they need to attack the natural family and take kids away as early as possible. And so these are the things that they've been attacking. And so we're just going to reverse that. We're going to make Australia such a beacon of light to the rest of the, rest of the world. They're going to look at us and wonder, how the hell did they do it? But it's hard, measurable political nous that's going to, going to make this successful. And so to get back to your original question, the US, what's going to happen? It's terrible if it does. I have faith in Trump that he'll pull a rabbit out of a hat. And in fact, I believe he's working at levels that we don't even know about. And I believe he'll get his second election. He'll win that. 
And Trump being smart, and he's very smart, I'm sure one of the first questions he asked was, who are the greatest presidents? And he would have been given a list of names. And then he would have said, why? Why are they the greatest presidents? And the reason their greatness is measured by, one of the major metrics is their legacy, how long their legacy lasted to shape the country. One of them would have been, for example, the Supreme Court. Populating the Supreme Court with uh, rigid constitutionalists was a brilliant move by Trump because they will outlive him his, uh, and his administration, and yet the legacy will live on. There are other things that measure greatness. And so he's moving, and he's moving at a foundational level to make sure that what happens after he goes continues. So I have great faith. But let's say, as a good soldier, you, you hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. If the US does go down, Australia One has a plan to make sure that we can recover because we have everything we need in this country. Unlike most others, we have everything we need to be utterly self-reliant. Do we want trade? Absolutely. Do we want exchanges with other cultures? You bet. That gives life its, its vigor, its taste, its, its juice. But if we need to, we've got all the natural resources we've got. We need all, we've got all the educated workforce we need. We can bring people in and send them out as well. But we are fortunate. And it's, I think it's odd that this sleepy little outpost of Western civilization that in an active level takes very little interest in it might actually be the last repository of the West because the US might go down, Canada has gone down, New Zealand has gone down, the UK is lost, Western Europe is lost, large parts of it. We are still in a position fortunate in Australia where whilst we, like everyone else, has been under attack for decades, uh, it's been a sophisticated and, and exquisitely executed plan. We've been under attack and undermined. The foundational elements of our country have been undermined. So we're going to return over a period of decades, we will turn that around and we'll be attacking them in ways that they never saw coming. We're using every tool in the, in the box. Now, being a special ops guy, we tend not to charge mindlessly into barbed wire and artillery, to use an analogy. Um, if, uh, if we're told, if, a, if, a, if a, an Air Force Marshal is told to take out the enemy's air capability, they'll ask for billions of dollars, buy billions of dollars worth of aircraft, and then Play, uh, play Knights of the Sky shooting each other out. Special ops are different. We'll take oh, maybe two or three five-man teams on separate areas. We'll contaminate fuel supplies, break a few pilots' arms in a very indirect way, make sure that they, the capability is never raised. And that's what we're going to be doing to the people against us, and they can't win. That's why I'm so confident. That's, that's what we've been doing. You're, you're, inspi you're inspiring me now <laughs> with a lot of hope. And I hope, um, I hope a lot of that does, as you said, m move forward. Uh, I wanted to comment on what, what you mentioned, part of your plan, the social cultural uh, aspect. When I was teaching uh, international relations at university here in Mexico, we had, I had a lot of international students, including many from Australia. Uh, but collectively, my, pretty much each class that I had that was a mix of Mexican, Australian, and international students, 99% uh, of the students were very, you know, left-wing progressive. And so, you know, that, posed, that poses a huge problem because, you know, there, there's left-wing left listeners to this podcast. And, you know, I, I say that there's nothing wrong if we have, you know, an ideal class would be, you know, a, a group of left-wingers, a group of 
right wingers, people in the middle, independents. That's a nice mix to have. But when you have 99% with one singular ideology, th there's a problem there, I, I, I think. And uh, I, I kind of, you kind of are reading my mind in terms of my questions. I just wanted to extrapolate on what you mentioned uh, earlier about war, because I recently read this poignant piece by historian Niall Ferguson, uh, who pointed out that we stand at one of those truly earth-shattering moments of history, that often world wars and plagues happen together. And, you know, given economic collapses underway and coupled with a so-called pandemic, uh, we're witnessing also coups in Mali and Africa, Turkey's Erdogan is on the move, and sabers are rattling between the West uh, and China, and armies generally are, are on the move. And you mentioned, you know, you think Trump will win. Uh, in any case, you know, if, if he loses or if he wins, war might still break out. Do you see uh, that potential? Absolutely, without a doubt. I'll cover the war thing in a minute, but just going back a fraction. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, I was described in Wikipedia as far-right-wing political leader. <laughs> There isn't a right-wing policy on our, on, our, on our page, not one. In fact, one of our catch cries is when either, it's not about left and right, it's about right and wrong. It's as simple as that. When you break it down and when people are compelled to answer the question, is killing a baby at birth, at birth, the moment of birth, and, I, and I'll describe it so people are aware and people keep telling me, don't say it because it hurts the feelings. I don't care because here's how it's done. It's called a partial birth abortion. The baby is... is uh, is partially born, but in the breech position, so the head is in stilts inside the woman. And a pair of scissors, is, a medicine-bound scissors, is put in the back of the head. The scissors are opened up to mash the brain. A vacuum, a suction pump is then put in the hole in the back of the head. The brain is sucked out. The soft skull collapses, and the baby is delivered. Now, this allegedly is called women's health. It's murder, pure and simple. Now, when you can put that in front of any socialist you want to and say, explain to me how that's health. It's not. And then the, to, to, to make to add rub salt into the wound, the baby is not called a baby. It's called medical waste. It gets no death certificate, no birth certificate. It gets no burial. The parts are on-sold to the global, um, uh, what's it called, organ transplant industry, particularly for China. And it's also sold to corporations who use it in all sorts of uh, business processes. Now, that's not... <laughs> You've got, to be, you've got to be sick to think that that is healthcare. And yet we have in Victoria, four of our six states have authorised full-term abortion. Now, that's just the, the, the right-left issue. It's just we're not left, we're not right. It's about right and wrong. And that's why we have to talk about a moral society where people can learn to, to make decisions for themselves. Now, let me tell you this story because it's instructive. When I was eight years of age, and this is... Um, a year before Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon, because I'm 60 years of age. I've been on the planet long enough. I've been around the buoy a few times, so I don't get surprised by much. But we were standing at the school assembly, and uh, the, uh, the classmate in front of me, a guy called Joe Smotherman. It's funny how you remember these details. Joe Smotherman. He was wearing the wrong jacket that day, and who knows why. It didn't really matter. But I was teasing him, because that's what idiot eight-year-old boys do to their classmates. And I was teasing him and provoking him, and then he spun around and, and had a go at me. But the, the sister, the little sisters of mercy, at the front didn't see me teasing. They just saw Joe's response. And so she said, see your teacher after this. Anyway, we went in the classroom. And sister Mary Joseph drags poor old Joe Smotherman up to the, the, uh, the platform and is about to strap him because this, this is in the days of corporal punishment. Right. 
And here I am sitting at the back and I can keep my mouth shut and watch Joe get the hit that I deserved. But even as an eight-year-old, I knew the difference between right and wrong. And this is where people have to get back to. And so I put up my hand and said, excuse me, sister. And she said, what do you want? And I said, well, it's not Joe's fault. It was mine. I was teasing him. Now imagine an eight-year-old boy having to do that. Didn't have to, chose to. And she asked Joe, is that correct? And he said, yes. And so she sat Joe down and she strapped me instead. And I didn't complain because I had done wrong and I had to pay the price. You can't get somebody else to pay the price for your crime. Now, if an eight-year-old boy knows the difference between right and wrong, and don't get me wrong, I'm no saint. You know, from that point, I've had a a morally questionable life at, at, at times, I can tell you. But if an eight-year-old boy can be raised in such a way that he understands right from wrong, then I'm sure we can do the same. And that's the sort of level of morality we need in this country. Once that morality is established on a personal and individual level, then we have a chance to save our nation. And just to, yes, just to get uh, your thoughts on that point. Right. The war's going to come anyway because um, they wanted to. Now, let me give you an analogy because few people are soldiers, but a lot of people are business people. And you know that cash is the great accelerator. Cash and expertise gets your business going. You know that. You can have a great business idea with a second-class team. You won't make dollar one. You can have a second-class idea with a first-class team, and you've got a chance. War's the same thing. Wars only happen because people want them to happen. It's not accidental because it's tough organising a war. And tell you what, it's bloody expensive. You think ISIS, a bunch of know-nothings, could organise simple things like passport printing, sale of oil through Turkey, all the things they needed to keep them going, the purchase of countless Toyota Land Cruisers. This is not accidental. Wars happen because... The people in charge wanted them to happen. And when I was in the Middle East, and I served, I, I lived and worked in the Middle East for many, many years, I was advising um, the United Arab Emirates Special Operations Command. They call us advisors now. They used to call us something else years back. I was advising them, and things were going on, and I'd hear rumours about what other countries were getting up to, particularly in Libya, because Libya was collapsing, and that was an intended strategy, courtesy of Hillary Clinton and her business partners. And you all almost needed traffic lights for the various special operations teams from various nations who were advising various warlords. Wars only happen because people wanted them to happen. It's not a spontaneous expression of of anything, let me tell you. So if the wars are coming, it's because the globalists want the war. They They wanted a trigger for world control and they tried global cooling in the 70s. Then they tried global warming. They tried all sorts of nonsense. And they finally got the pandemic, the scandemic, because it's not real. We know it's not real. Uh, and they don't care about that. They just got what they wanted, lockdown, and they've got control, wealth transfer and control of the population. So that's how much they wanted it to happen. Now, if things go askew for them, let's say, let's say people start pushing back, they will start wars. They'll start countless wars around the country in order to distract the population, because when you're getting shot at, then all of a sudden other things aren't so, aren't so bad. So are wars coming? Without a doubt. These people will burn to the ground, life on earth, as we know it, rather than lose. This is not like, and I try to get this through to people, war's not like a a football match where you turn up in an appointed time and an appointed place, you play for an appointed period of time, and whoever's in front of the finish wins and everybody goes home. No, war is like 
You take out the opposition team on the bus on the way in. That's war. It's nasty and it's cruel and it's brutal. That's what these people will do. So the, the, the kumbaya approach to dealing with these people is just fundamentally wrong. War is coming. Expect it. And, and I say this to people. Look at history. Is, is world history long periods of peace punctuated by war or is it periods of war punctuated by peace? And how you answer that question will reveal your understanding and depth of knowledge of history. People, this is now, as I said yesterday, um, to another group, this is an adults-only game. This isn't time for kids. There's no room. This is not a learning moment. So if you know what you're doing, get and do it. If you don't, sit down, shut up, and watch the adults and watch how we actually fix this problem that you got us into. This is not a game. This is deadly serious. The war is coming. Only, as I said, because those people that want it will create it. I pretty much had the, the same idea uh, analysis uh, as you, and, you know, it's it's... It's sad to hear your conclusion, but I think it's inevitable as anyone, as you said, who studies uh, history. You've told us uh, about uh, the Australia One plan and platform. Uh, I wanted to quote Teddy Roosevelt, who once said, get action, do things, don't fritter away, fritter away your time, act, take a place wherever you are and be somebody, get action. Uh, you're doing that with Australia One what insight uh, more can you share with us, uh, all of us from around the world, as well as other fellow uh, Australians regarding, you know, w what we can do to fight the destruction of our democracies and, and uh, the rise of tyranny? And I'll, I'll, I'll answer that with another Teddy Roosevelt quote. Do the best where you are with, with, with uh, do the best you can where you are with what you've got. That's it. Do the best you can where you are with what you've got. It's immediate. It's now. And what I say again to our people is this. If they say you can't congregate, then get your iPhone, stand in front of your front yard, get an Australian flag, sing the first verse of the Australian National Anthem, and then just give a 30-second burst of what you think. We can have virtual protests involving millions of people globally and flood, flood the world with these messages, firstly to let everyone know that they're not alone, which is the first key. And the second one is to let those bastards in charge know that their time is coming to an end. We will win. They will lose. They cannot build enough prisons. They cannot build enough FEMA camps. They cannot force enough vaccination to stop billions of people globally because that's what they're up against. In Australia, we only have 25 million. But I tell you what, and I was having a, an interesting energetic discussion with an opponent recently, and I said to him, I'll tell you what, your people follow you because they have to. My people follow me because they want to. And that's a big difference. They own Australia One. Australia One is, is a membership-driven party. I have no special place here. If I want to run for parliament in the future, like everybody else, I have to persuade people to support me in my electorate, in my district, let's say. And if they don't, I can't run. It's as simple as that. The, the constitution that we're developing for Australia One will become the, the basis of a constitution that we'd like for the country. Maximum personal involvement by individuals and controlling their future. And let me give you an example. Uh, recall elections. That's not, not uncommon in some countries. But in Australia, we have these lying politicians that make all sorts of promises, and they do nothing for the three-year term of their, um, their time in Parliament, and then they come back three years later and make more promises and ask for another vote. Well, we're going to introduce recall elections which are great because if you get between 10 to 15%, we haven't decided on, on the number yet, 
the 10 to 15% of your electorate decide that you're no good, recall. So they are now responsible, responsive. These politicians are responsive 24-7, 365. The people who voted them otherwise are out of a job. So that's just one example. There's much more I won't go into. That's much more how our party constitution will then eventually reflect what we want for the country. And a time will come where Australians, as I said, will have to decide for themselves what they want. And it's going to be a long, slow process. And that's why I said our strategy goes many years into the future because we want a calm and measured transition from where we are to where we want to be. And that requires thought, expertise and patience and a lot of education. It's been an enlightening conversation uh, thus far. Are there any other points that you'd like to get across uh, or final thoughts to leave us with? Perhaps something I didn't ask, something on your mind, anything else to leave us with? I'll just get, uh, I'll get that quote I was telling you about. Just bear with me for a second. Sure. I'll have to get your book. <laughs> I'll send you a copy. Should, uh, email me your, uh, your best postal address. I'll send you a complimentary copy. Or, no, you better, well, that, that's nice too, but I always love to support my guests. I always purchase their books, uh, at least the electronic version. So we can do both. You can send it to me and I'll have an electronic, but go ahead with your quote. There's no electronic version yet. Okay. But, um, but I'll send you a copy. No, because you've already done me a massive service, so I appreciate, I appreciate the, the, the call out. But let me read this to you because this is what people understand. And the book is, um, let me get that so you can read it. Greatness awaits you, the five pillars of real leadership. And just so people understand, leadership is not management. Leadership is not command. Military people think that they are leaders. They're not. They're commanders. And command is the lawful execution of authority. That's not leadership. You know, I've been a military officer and they saluted me and they did what I said, but that was because they had to. Real leadership is something else. And the definition that I had to come up with for myself there's nothing satisfied, nothing made sense. And I came up with my own definition, and you'll read it in the book when, when, I, when you get it. That is, a real leader is one who uses nothing but what they are to unite many to achieve good. Very simple. Not about manipulation, coercion, bribery, force. Stand up, think, speak, and do, and watch how they follow. Because as one of my, one of my soldiers, he contributed a quote to the book, and it basically says, Leadership is not how many people you lead, it's how many will follow you. <laughs> mm -hmm. But let me just give you this to finish off. And this is a dedication to Donald Trump. Um, this is a, a quote from the Encyclopedia Britannica Syntopicon, uh, 1952. I've got some old books and I love old books. And it goes like this. The heroes of history and poetry may be cruel, self-seeking, ruthless, intemperate and unjust but they were never cowards. They do not falter or give way. They do not despair in the face of almost hopeless odds. They have the strength and the stamina to achieve whatever they set their minds and wills to do. They would not be heroes if they were not men of courage. This is the very meaning of heroism, which gives the legendary heroes almost the stature of gods. And in this point in history, we need heroes. And heroes come from everywhere. The single mum doing her best to raise good kids, working two and a half jobs, through to business people, through the teachers. Everyone, everyone must stand up and find that heroic 
quality in them and start to do things they've never done before because more will be asked of them than they've ever had to do because we've never been in this situation. This is utterly unique in human history in terms of its scale. Our predecessors have overcome and won, and so will we. I sure hope so. It's like one of those Lord of the Rings moments. I can't remember the quote from, from Gandalf where he tells Frodo, but, you know, no, we didn't ask to be here, but we just got to do, do what we can, as you said, with what we have. Um, and apart from Lionheart, AustralAsia.com and AustraliaOneParty.com, uh, and, and I know you have a new weekly uh, uh, podcast with Joel uh, Jamal, which I'll include the link. Uh, are there any other websites or, or initi initiatives we should know about? No, that's it. Uh, AustraliaOneParty.com, LionheartAustralasia.com. Uh, the Lionheart is my business, leadership, strategy, and innovation. And the party is obviously the party. Have a look at both. And just Google Ricardo Bozzi, um, the YouTube videos. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook or on um, Instagram. Uh, there's plenty out there. Just Google the name. You'll find it. And if you like what you see, let me know. If you don't like what you see, that's good. Let me know too. All right. I urge listeners to support Lieutenant Colonel Ricardo Bossi and Australia One, if you're Australian. And check his, again, check out the podcast uh, and subscribe to all of uh, his channels. Uh, I, I, I have done so uh, already. And you're producing great content. And I think you are a crucial node in the global resistance uh, against tyranny. So... Um, Thank you again for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and all the best to your listeners. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.